Hi folks, I am absolutely honoured to be able to have a nice free-form conversation with Calvin Robinson, uh, a GB News presenter, um, generally conservative person on the internet, which are few and far between these days. And uh, we're going to just be talking about um, the state of the world. There's no particular uh, manifesto for this conversation. Um, but we were just talking about the decline of Britain. Yes. Because it's palpable. Which is the decline of the West. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. And I, well, I think the reason is that the enemy, so to speak, define them however you want, whether mm. it's Marxists, whether it's the woke, whether it's the devil himself, depending on your worldview, the enemy has been attacking uh, two fundamental aspects of our way of life, which are the faith and the family. Mm. And without them, everything else falls apart. I think um, there's definitely uh, major issues with this. Because recently I got my daughter christened, my youngest daughter mm. christened. Very good. Yeah, exactly, right? Because it's proper. Yeah. That's why I did it. I'm not a Christian yeah. still. Um, but I'm still praying for you. I know. Um, but it just was right that that was the case. Did you go to your local parish church? Yeah, we did, yeah. The one my wife, you know, she's the one who like wanted it to be done yeah. and made, you know, made it all happen because it's like you know, family tradition. But I think this thing is, these things are important because my, my parents are wonderful, but they're like very much products of their time mm. and so they were like well we didn't get you christened because we wanted it to be your choice and it's like yeah but that's not really what a christening is is it you know it's it's a, a rite of passage to join the community that happens when you're an infant that's interesting because obviously i see it as the moment when we are bestowed with grace from god it was when we receive the gifts of the holy spirit when we become one in his body but yeah of course the secular view of course is that it's part of hatch match and dispatch it's part of when you join your local community mm. you go to your local parish church your local mm. parish priest pours water on your head and then it's it's in, it's welcoming your child into that community yeah yeah and it, it's a reason for the community to assemble yeah you know in honor of your newborn child you know and so and, and don't go wrong you know i appreciate the the metaphysical connotations and yeah. uh the, the associations that it should have and honestly, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, maybe I was deprived of that, you know. And yeah. the, this, uh, Some of this is down to individualism. So I, I yeah, find yeah, that I people know. these days, they say they want a private wedding or they want a private mm. funeral. But that's not what it is. A funeral yeah. is, is an open event. It's, well, it's part of a church service, first and foremost, or it used to be. Yeah. But it's, it's where the community can come to grieve yeah. and mourn a loss. It's, 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 and same with a wedding. You're saying that you two are being united under God, but you're you're holding yourselves to account at the behest of the community. Mm. It's not your private relationship. You belong to something larger than just yourselves. And I think individualism has made us think these are all our own little things that are our own little treasures we keep in our own little corner. And this, and honestly, I, I don't want to just be like boomers, <laughs> but it is part of the sort of boomer mindset where it's like, well, well, it's my choice. It's about me. It's like mm. that's not always good, actually, no. because you are right. Especially a funeral is the best example, I think. A funeral isn't about you, literally. You know, you're 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 gone. I'm afraid. Uh, a funeral is actually about the other people around you and how they deal with it, and they need this kind of ritual in order to set a particular kind of date in order to say, right, that's done, and so they can move past, so they can find healing and grace. Yeah. And to to say, well, it's about me. It's like, well, no, you were just involved. You know, it's everything actually, is about me. Yeah, this sense of self. Yeah, uh, which is obviously a very modern concept, has destroyed our way of life. Yeah, because we're all so entitled, all of us, and I'm pointing at me as well as everyone oh, yeah. else around me. 
I'm as, I'm as guilty of the things. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? You know, like, I, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you're a hypocrite. Well, maybe, but at least I recognize what the problem is, right? Yeah. I could be an ignorant yeah. person who walks around being a hypocrite, not this, realizing. This is the major difference, right? So yeah. as a Christian, we, we recognize that everyone is a sinner. Mm. And people often think we're on a, put ourselves on a pedestal and we're pointing down at the sinners and say, mm. you will not need to repent. But it's, no, it's, it's this way. It's recognizing that I am a sinner mm. and I need to repent because I am fallen just as well as everyone else. But people don't always see that and they think we're being hypocritical. But no, we're, we're calling everyone to account and holding everyone to the same standards that we're holding ourselves to. Mm. But this is always the, the difference, isn't it, as well? Because everyone has met a, a Christian whom, or maybe not now, in, you know, when I was young, everyone knew a Christian, someone who was a professor Christian, who was the nicest person on earth mm. because they had a humble perspective on the world. Mm. It wasn't, I mean, maybe in America things were different, uh, but I, they don't none do of humble very well in America. Well, no, they saying. don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, w- it was never about browbeating other people. And so all of the Christians I know, I'm not, I, I know a chap called Luke Avery, who's very much cut from your cloth when it comes to Christianity. And he would like me to become a Christian. I'm like, well, you know, if if I felt a genuine spiritual conviction, I would. Yeah. But he's also just the nicest chap. You know, he's just very, very humble, and he takes yeah. your approach on it. And it's and. No one can complain about people like that. Mm. You know, there's no, 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 there's nothing to drive at. You know, say you're a hypocrite. Well, I know I'm, I'm, I'm just as bad as everyone else. What are you going to say now? You yeah. know, but, um, but the problem though is that, and I, I spoke to my parents about this. Sorry, to, I'm not trying to call out my parents, but it, it, it was just, it was very obvious to me that they, my, my dad knows all the words of the hymns. Mm. Right? He knows all the words. My mum knows all the words of the hymns. And they enjoy being in the church and singing the hymns. But I'm there holding the sheet. And I don't know the tune. Mm. You know, I can see the words. I don't know how they're sung. Yeah. And it's because I wasn't forced to go to church, whereas they were forced to go to church. And from their perspective in like the 70s and the 60s, it seemed natural. But, well, I'm not going to force my child to go to church because... Because I want, of liberalism. Because of liberalism, yeah. No, that's exactly <laughs> But why. they denied you of something. They denied you of that capital, that cultural capital. Exactly. I, they, they have a nostalgia for being forced to go to church, even though they resented it when they were young, right? Yeah. But I don't have that nostalgia because it just was never on the table for me. Do um, you think this is something that's holding you back? Because most people, I say most people, I'm generalizing obviously, but sure. a lot of people grow up in the church and then towards their late teens or their early 20s they go away for a bit they explore the world and then mm-hmm. they tend to come back and they've got that foundation of the faith so all along even though they might go wild at some point in, deep inside they've got an understanding of well they've got a moral compass that comes from Christianity uh, do you feel like that that's been a barrier for you because you, you understand the faith you understand the cultural elements of it you see how important they are mm-hmm. but I see that there's a leap of faith that you're denying yourself is that because you feel like you've been denied it from your childhood I don't know um, specifically if that's the case, but I do. I can see that there is a kind of homeliness about the church that, even though um, my family is not a religious family, they still like going to the church. Mm. You know, and without this kind of background, I imagine it's a lot easier for one of my aunts or uncles. To say, you know, actually, yeah, no, I do believe in God, you know, because I'm getting older now. I'm getting a bit worried about, you know, the impending end of your life. And so it becomes easier and you've got a, it's something to softly fall back into, Mm. you know, but I actually don't have that. I mean, I'm not particularly worried about death, actually. Um, 
raised an atheist for me it's just nothing right so i'm not, I'm not particularly worried about it right you know i'm just gonna do what i can with my life while i'm here um and that's a good point in itself, because a lot of people think, well, religion is just an answer to make people feel good about death. No, Actually, you don't need it, because if you're an atheist, you think that's it. Yeah, it's you, actually, you try to live a good life. You, you've contributed in lots of ways, so you could be happy and say, well, that chapter's over, right? Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about right. it. Like, I'm actually not, not terrified. I don't want to die, obviously. No. You know, but it's, it, there are worse fates than death, as mm. far as I'm concerned. Mm. You know, far worse fates. You know, mm. being trapped in a coma for, for yeah. you know, 20 years that's awful yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned losing your mental capacity yeah exactly know. yeah like there, there are way worse fates than death yeah. you know obviously it'd be sad to be dead but like like say you know I'm happy with what I've done with my life and I'll, I'm happy with I, I, I'm talking way too much here no but it's interesting because <laughs> we're getting down to what religion is about and why yeah, it's important yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's because it's about the truth and you're a man that you, you live for the truth right I you have a whole to. broadcast media addressing yeah. the truth and putting it out there for people but I, I think that you see the truth in Christianity as opposed to other religions and cults and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. But somehow you're, you're unable to embrace it Yeah, on a personal level. It, it, I, I would say it's the habituation of modern Western culture because it's so materialist. It embeds itself in your soul in a way that I don't know how to overcome it. I don't know what to do about it. And but you want to move away from it. So let's let's move away from going towards Christianity. Let's yeah. let's talk about moving away from modernity. Like yeah. so, you you don't like modernity. You don't like the the liberalism that's taken over the whatever we're going to call it postmodernism, mm-hmm. post Christianity, whatever we're living in post truth age. And you're trying to go away from that. But what are you aiming towards? Let's well, I, I I would be happy. For us to return to a more Christian society. Okay. I think society would be better. Um, I personally don't know if I can do it, but I would be happy to be a step on the road towards that. Like, I mean, you know, my, my, my son says he's a Christian, and I'm like, yes, you are, son, that's fine. I mean, he doesn't do much that's Christian, but, they, you know, they sing hymns in school, you know, in his school, so it's fine. Yeah. And I'm happy for them to do that. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't want him to be totally disconnected from a tradition that we had and i don't want to be so totally subsumed in materialism that the very notion is alien you know i feel like i'm talking way too much no i love it it's interesting because (laughs) i look at it from the outside i think okay so your children are saved right your children are baptized they're part of christ's body on earth They, they, they are potentially going to heaven if there is an afterlife right which i believe there is And you give, you've gifted them that. Mm. But then, if this is the truth, if Christ is the truth, and the conditions on an everlasting life with and in him are that we have to be born again, in that we have to be baptized in water and the Holy Spirit, and you've given that to your children, would you not want to be with them? There's a part of me that feels it's not. it wouldn't be authentic. Like, and I, I'm not sure that that is what is, strictly speaking, true. And I don't want to be a fraud before all of the things. I, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'm not saying I can't be wrong. You know, it might be true. Who knows? But I feel that I have to move in line with my own conscience, right? And Does that mean you have to be absolutely sure that this is the truth? You can't have any doubts? No, no, okay. no. I, it doesn't feel right. Okay. I don't know how to describe it, you know? And it... it I really, I really don't know how to describe it, but it's just, 
I, I would feel like I was being dishonest, right? And I don't want to be dishonest. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, but like I said, I, I also have a fondness for Christianity. You know, I, I like Christians whenever I meet them. You know, they're always lovely people. I like the ceremony and ritual of it, and it's part of our historical and cultural tradition. And I want that to continue. And so, you know, I'm not going to act as an enemy of Christianity. No. Anything like that. You're just not going to let Christ into your heart. Yes. <laughs> I find it fascinating because I mean we had a few chats on this and I feel like yeah. you intellectualize it a lot and you've got these you've got mental barriers there that only you can break down and no one can, I mean there's nothing anyone can say to you that can mm. convince you you've got to open up your heart in some way and it does become a different a battle between the mind and the heart mm. and I think that's what faith is taking that leap of faith often there are people that say I want it to be true and mm. I understand the faith I like the faith I want the faith to be true. And I think when, once you reach that point, there is nothing you can do other than taking that leap of faith mm. and saying, okay, then I, therefore I choose to believe. And in, in that choice, that everything can change. But I think quite often we, we or people wait for a miraculous moment or for God to do or say something to mm. change our hearts rather than being the other way around as opening our hearts to God. This is... Make this, sense to you? Yeah, no, no, totally. This is the sort of... The, the diabolical power of modernity. Um, because in no other era would this have been an issue. Mm. Right? Like no other era. You're too modern, Carl. I, I am. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a total product of modernity. And, you know, as much as I don't like it, it's just the way things are. But let, anyway, let's, let's carry so on with other... No, no, but let's, let's carry on with the things. Because you are right. I do think... But, I mean, even, even from a secular position, I can see the innate value of having my daughter baptized my son's baptized right it was it's been wonderful mm. to just get family and friends around mm. and give them a reason mm. to come around you know because you don't actually have that very often and you know some people have to travel a little bit but it's fine and it's a good day and everyone has a good time and you know when i when we were sat like having the dinner afterwards you know sunday lunch afterwards i was just watching the room and just everyone was just smiling and chatting and having a great time and it's like you wouldn't know that there were problems in the world mm. you know and so, even from a secular position, like it's obviously a good thing, right? I mean, that, all of that's good, but it's very superficial. I wouldn't call it superficial; um, secondary, maybe. Okay. Right. Yeah, fair. Because there was, you know, there's 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 depth in our familial connections. You know, these these are the things that we lean on yeah. when we've got problems. So, I, I, but it, it goes deeper than that in that you're giving your children that moral compass you're giving them yeah. the guidelines of how to live a good life mm. rather than just letting them grasp at whatever society mm. around them tells them is a way to live a good life which is why we're in the mess that we're in right now oh yeah oh yeah like it's uh, i mean i just don't see how it we, we we seem to be in a tailspin that can't be gotten out of right but i don't i just i don't see the will anywhere i mean mm. what what do you think would have to happen for our civilization to be put back on track? Honestly, I think Christ has to come back into the center of it because we've put ourselves at the center mm. and that's a rocky foundation. So everything is crumbling down. Mm. The foundation has to be solid for whatever else we build on top. And that means the West was built on Christian principles, Christian yes. values, and we've stripped those away. Mm. Like I said at the beginning, family and faith have been the target of the enemy. And without those, without those principles, there's nothing else to build on top. So we're saying, you know, we want good education for our kids. We want 
good healthcare, we want good uh, social services, we've talked about in other podcasts. All of these things that we, we say we want have to come from somewhere. But they were all Christian initiatives initially. Right, exactly. <laughs> they were all Christian. So the church setting yeah. up schools, the yeah. church setting up healthcare uh, hospitals, yeah. the church doing charitable works for a reason, not just because we're entitled to them, but because we feel like mm. we have a human right, which is an arbitrary idea of what belongs to us. It's because they're good and proper things to do because the good book told us to do them. Mm. And without that, then I don't know what we're doing other than grasping. We're struggling. Mm. We're, we're drowning. That's what we're doing. No, you are right. I think there, there's a certain element of drowning in success. Yeah, but the, but the question was, how do we return? Mm. And the, the, the answer is, go back to the book. Mm. If we try to live our lives according to a, a, a solid, tangible rule set, then we're good. The problem with the woke society is that the, the rules that they live by change from day to day, as we know, and people will get cancelled for something that was acceptable yesterday. Mm. And the only way to avoid that is to not be arbitrary, is to be fixed on something and i think that the thing we should be fixed on is the truth and i think the truth is jesus christ so how how can a population that is so atheistic be persuaded into that position but i think the population has always been like this i don't think we're atheistic i think the population is apathetic mm. like most people have so many things to be worrying about on a day-to-day -day basis mm. their faith as well as the values of the country are always secondary right mm. Uh, it affects them on, in ways that are primary, but it's always a secondary concern. And I think it always has been. Mm. The difference being, throughout history, we've had leaders who've cared about this stuff. Mm. So back, going back to when we had absolute monarchs, the, the country was Catholic because the king was Catholic. The country became Protestant because the king got excommunicated by Rome. We followed along. Like the, the, the king led us. Mm. And you know, when we had no monarch, we had the civil state that led us into chaos. Mm. and now that we no longer have an absolute monarchy we're waiting for parliament to lead us in ways that they just can't because it's such a tangible not yeah. a tangible it's such a transitory um phenomena that they're, they're not leaders in morality because that's they're legislative they're not you know it's a different area yeah. Yeah. so we, we're looking for people to do something that they're not going to do and there's very little chance for uh the uh, head of faiths or defender of faiths to take an active role in being a, a good Protestant. But he could. We could have a you know we could have a king that says, I um I believe in Jesus Christ and this is he will be the saviour of our nation and mm. these are the values that we adhere to as as Brits. And I think a lot of people would be like, I don't really care. But if he if he mm. said that and the policies came through to follow that, it would change our way of life. I think if he said it enough times as well, because you know you I mean, there's nothing stopping him from making, you know, visiting churches, no. visiting cathedrals, no. you know. If he, if he genuinely took his role as the head of the Anglican Church seriously, yeah. he could do this. And that would, and like you say, most people might not care, but I mean, they might want to turn out just to see the king turning up yeah. at a local church or a local uh, cathedral or whatever. Like, you are right. It probably is in his hands. If there was to be a revival, it probably would have to be from the king. Look at what Her Majesty the Queen did, right? The late mm. Queen Elizabeth II. In her funeral, she instituted the greatest moment of mission and evangelism the world has ever seen since the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. 28 million people all around the world tuned in to watch a Christian service. Mm. That was prophetic. No one else has ever done anything like that. And she, I think she did that on purpose because she did center her life on Christ. She be believed that she was a servant leader. Mm. Um, 
she could have been more prophetic with it and more bold with it throughout her life, but she at least made sure that people knew that she was a Christian. Mm. But that moment, that moment of her funeral was fundamental and it brought people together all across the world, not just in Great Britain. It brought us together as Brits, brought us together as a commonwealth, it brought us together as Christians. Mm. Now, if the king saw that and thought, wow, that's amazing. How do we do that more regularly? How do we make that part of our way of life? That would be a way to go. Could we have the magic back? Yeah. That's a great point, actually. You are, I think that's a good point. I hadn't even thought that because obviously I wasn't thinking in these dimensions. But like, yeah, you are right. Like, if, it would require someone like Charles, wouldn't it? Because you know? I mean, it's not like the Archbishop of Canterbury is going to do it. Ah, oh, bless him. <laughs> he's a lost man. Mm. He really is. I think he's still repenting for his days in the oil industry. Really, I didn't yeah, even know. I think that's why he's going so woke on so many issues. He's oh, trying to, you know, overcorrect. People often do that. Yeah. And I don't think he's leading the church down the right path. But you're right, he won't do anything like this. It has to come from the monarch. But we need a stronger monarch. thing is, at least, I mean, Charles was a known quantity, wasn't he? Yeah, he's always been a bit of a globalist. But what's coming up? You know, the Prince of Wales is nice enough, but he's not a bold leader. I don't think... He might shock us. You think? I think he'll be a maintenance king. He'll be... In there, people will ask questions about how long will the monarchy survive, and he'll mm. modern, modernize a little bit mm. just to throw a bit of red meat out to the liberals. But he'll give us enough tradition to make it look like he wants it yeah. to survive. Nothing important will happen under his reign. I mean, at least he looks the part and acts the part. Yeah, you know, he, he at least appreciates his role. But like a so. modern conservative, like the conservative yeah. government has just been in maintenance mode since yeah. you know the only radical conservative we had was Margaret Thatcher. In modern history, at least. If you even want to call her a conservative. Right. Because really, she was a liberal. But she wanted to get things done. Most yeah. of them just want to be in power. Yeah, that's true. And it's the same with, with the monarch. Like, Prince mm. William will be conservative in the sense of not doing anything. Conserv- mm. Conserving liberalism and the pace at which it's growing. Yeah, yeah. God, it's dire, isn't it? But what about... Well, which, which son of his is the, uh, the rebel, rebellious one? Oh, the, it's the not one George, who, is it? It's, I um, can't remember which one it was. But the one on the balcony. The one who reminds me of King jo- Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> That's what we need. Someone who's... I don't a, think we need a Joffrey. <laughs> well, someone who's going to say, look, we need to sh- you know, shake things up around here and m- maybe restore the absolute monarchy and well, reclaim the soul of the nation. We need, we need someone who's going to be a, a bit of a benevolent dictator. Not a tyrannous dictator, but a benevolent dictator. I don't see how that's going to happen. Although I would love to see a conflict between the king and parliament because I very much doubt the parliament's got the power to command the public sentiment, actually. Mm. I mean, maybe in the 17th century it did, and obviously it did because it won a civil war. But I would be very surprised these days after yeah. 300 years of parliamentary rule if people would be in vaguely interested. Yeah. Well, I mean, many of us joked when yeah. King Charles got in that the other previous King Charles's have dissolved parliament. So yeah, yeah, yeah. wonderful if you yeah. could do something. But I mean, who's fighting for their local MP? No one. No. No one. Yeah, so we detest them. Yeah, exactly. Everyone and hates they detest them. us. Yeah. The massive divorce of the people and the people representing yeah. the people. It's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. But we mustn't be doomers. <laughs> I, I can't. There is always hope. Yeah, but there's always hope. I'm, I'm actually, what, I'm what, actually very optimistic. You tell me first and then I'll... Well, sure. I've, I've always been an optimist. And so I've always looked at like my own ability to do things yeah. and to make things happen and occur. And so, you know, no matter what happens, I'll be able to act, you know, and I'll be able to make prudent decisions. So that 
fundamentally is why I'm an optimist. But I'm looking at the state of the country and it's like, right, okay. So we're trapped in this kind of death spiral. Everything's in decline. The people in charge seem to be resigned to it. And the general public don't seem to understand how they're being acted on. And so... So where's the hope in that? Well, um, I'm not very optimistic oh. for the state of the country. <laughs> I, I should be okay. Hopefully I'll be all right. That's very hopefully, individualistic of you. Well, it, it's all I'm in control of. Okay. You know, hopefully the people I know will be okay. You know, and all, you know, the people who work here, I think, will still have food on the table when right. other people don't, you know, hopefully. Uh, but that's all I can be optimistic about because it's all I'm in control of. Okay. So I've been saying for a while that I think the Church of England is in... Uh, decline, a managed yeah. decline, and they want to leave behind a perfectly embalmed liberal corpse. Yes. But what you've just said about the country, I think it's actually very similar. Yeah, I agree. That They realize there's nothing they can do now. We're on a downward trajectory, yeah. so they're trying to make it appear good. But I see that as hopeful. Really? Because I think you were talking about in your review of, of uh, Revolt Against the Modern World that mm. there's these cycles, right? Mm. And I think that's so true that civilizations, they peak and they trough, mm. they, they rise and they fall. I think this is the downward trajectory of the West mm. as a whole. We peaked um, in the early 20th century. We've been downward, downhill ever since. But I don't see that as a bad thing mm. because we've lost our way. We've taken away the foundation, which mm. was what was important. And we're clinging on to everything else that's on top. But as it's falling down, we're grasping it and trying to hold onto it as long mm. as possible. But we know it's going to crumble. But as it crumbles, we can be the remnants. And I believe that Christians have to come together and conservatives have to come together and say, this is what it meant to be British. These are the, these are the important parts of what made us good, mm. uh, not just as a nation, but as a, as a state, part of the world stage. And we have to cling to those things and rebuild with those things because we've lost our identity. We don't have a British identity anymore. We can, I mean, we can pontificate about what the identity is, but our politicians disagree and the people disagree. And, and they give it away to anyone. Right. So we need to reclaim that and rebuild from, mm. you know, like a phoenix from the ashes of the West. We need to create something better this time around and this make is, sure that it's built stronger. This is what Pete Hitchens basically said to me. You know, he, I, he was kind of goading me on Twitter, but I was like, look, I'm not <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't have the answers and I'm looking to you for some answers actually. And so he was like, well, Britain's beyond saving. I was like, sure, but England has to live on. So what can we do? He's like, well, you've essentially got to uh, keep a sprig of their yes, life, yes. you know, and hopefully something will grow from that after the collapse has come. And so, yeah. right, okay, well, I agree. And, you know, I was hoping for a bit more, but okay, fair enough. That's at least, at least you think I'm on the right path here because that's what collectively we're all trying to do. The, yeah. I don't want to say conservative because it's such a polluted word, but the traditionalist side is like, right, okay, but the, the problem is that the modern man is not prepared to hear that suffering is coming oh, and yeah. it's going to happen to him. He is not prepared for that. But then that's another reason why we need the faith. Because the faith mm. tells us that we have to suffer. There's no way yeah. to avoid suffering. And you're right, the modern man doesn't want to ever suffer. We've no. done everything we can to avoid it. Yeah. Because that's how we think we live a good life. But actually that's an empty life. And that's why we're lonelier and more isolated than we've ever been. But through our suffering, if we realize that we're never alone and that Christ is with us in our suffering, and if we realize, if we turn to the scriptures and say, see that we will be persecuted, but we will be blessed because of that persecution, mm -hmm. and that we will be rewarded because of that persecution, and that good things are to come, then we're, we're fine, we can live through it. But without that, it just looks all dire and, and mm -hmm. horrible. And this is another thing that the faith gives us. But this, like I said, this is from someone outside of Christianity, okay, um, I can specifically speak to what I think a lot of my peers are saying, thinking, yeah. and they are 
never going to accept that there can be nobility in suffering. They can't understand it. And I, I, was, I was speaking to my uh, brother-in-law, uh, who is a Jeremy Corbyn voter, um, but wow. because he's he's not married to my sister, but they may as well be married. Um, more modernity. Yeah, more modernity. <laughs> They've got two kids together. You know, They've been together for like 15 years. So why are they still living in sin? Oh, I don't know. I have no I'm not idea. casting judgment, but I am. But they're, they're, they're <laughs> progressive. Okay. Um, but I, I was saying to him, look, I think we need pain, actually. Like, I think pain is actually a requirement for character. Yeah. And um, the less pain that we have, and the more we try to avoid it, mm. the less capable we are, are of dealing with it. And so yeah. when things finally do collapse, we won't have the men of good character around to deal with the issue right. that we need dealt with. And it's he, formational. Absolutely. And he being materialistic he's not actually he, he he's kind of he's found himself kind of in new age spirituality actually because he realizes that materialism is only half of the story mm. right um and i was saying to him that, and he but i could see that it was like he was like right, okay he'd never had anyone make an affirmative case for suffering mm. actually and because it's a weird thing to make a case for mm. right especially in modernity why would you no, suffering's bad, isn't it? No, not suffering is bad, actually. You know, it makes you hollow, and like you're saying, it makes you incapable of dealing with things. It's not good. Yeah. It's, it's weird to make the case for that. You can't have the hot without the cold. Yeah. You can't recognize what the good is without the bad. Yeah. You've got to, recon- you've got to go through pain. You've got to go through it. Well, this is why a lot of conservatives have been saying, we need a war, but mm. now we have one. It's awful. It's not really ours. I hate the things we're fighting for. Yeah. You know? God. What should we be fighting for? I'm pretty sure the British law prevents me from saying. (laughs) 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 Um, We we should be fighting for ourselves and what is ours. Um, I, I, I am totally, totally off of the universalist train at this point mm. um, civilizationally mm. britain particularly england is in dire straits and this is what we should be thinking about mm. like our, our grandparents never would have thought things would have come to this no i'm so glad my knowledge around to see this actually mm. yeah other ways. but i mean we used to fight for god we used to yeah you know, the Crusades were of, often about pushing back against the evil that was spreading from the East. And oh, that's exactly we managed what we to, you know, We managed to sustain it for a while. Mm. And now we have a Trojan horse. We've invited the barbarians in. And is, is it too late to push back against that? Well, this is another thing that a lot of people are going to have to leave. Is that possible? <laughs> Not under liberalism. <laughs> There is there there is actually an optimistic view, which is if we were to close the borders tomorrow, yeah. we would still have six hundred thousand a year leave because they're globalist mercenaries. You know, they're not here because they want to be here, and so a large number would go, mm. and so that would help. You know, that would be a, a positive, um, and maybe if the trend continued, we could get the foreign population of Britain down to a, a manageable number, so it wasn't an issue. And the you know over the centuries those people are just being incorporated like with the Danes like with the, mm. the the Normans you know and and so things would carry on roughly on course. That's an optimistic view yeah. that is not 
an overthrowing of the liberal order? No. If we, if we froze yeah. immigration entirely from today, yeah. and we prevented all the illegal immigration, but yeah. we also cut all of the legal immigration, um, I think there's enough of Britain still around that we could work on integrating the yes. areas that are more segregationist, essentially. Yeah. I know, I totally agree. And again, like, you'd get, you know, hundreds of thousands a year just leaving because they were not here permanently anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that longs for an economic collapse just so that'll happen, Yeah, you know. But um, but there's no way the Conservatives are going to do that and there's no way that Labour's going to no, do that. they'll do the opposite. Yeah. So we need someone else to do it. An absolute monarch, for example. But the British public. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I don't think Charles has got it in him. No, I definitely no, don't think he's got it in him. This is why I think we need to be conquered. <laughs> I think we've been conquered. Yeah, but we need, we need someone strong to come and take over. Well, maybe it's just too late for that. I think it's too late. Yeah. I think things are going to get really bad. Which I don't relish, but... But also, again, when things get bad, that's hopeful because things have to get worse before they can get better. We're yeah. seeing that with education. A lot of people were saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with what's going on in schools. We have to teach about different lifestyles. This is all good. And now they're seeing what their children are being taught and they're pushing back. But for me, that's kind of ancillary to the problem, though, because like, have, you, have you ever read a, a school textbook from the Victorian era? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Quite often quite utilitarian, though. Sure, but it's it's high quality. Yeah, yeah. You know, as in, I, I remember reading an exam exam paper from something like eighteen ninety or something. I couldn't answer those questions. Mm -hmm. It's like right, okay, but this was you know twelve year olds were expected to answer these questions back yeah. then. And it's like right, so you can see the decline in education by merely what's being asked of the children themselves, mm -hmm. and we're nowhere near that. Like we're nowhere near, and so the standards have slackened. Everything's yeah. become loose. Well, I was worried about the values that are being, are being taught, but you're right, the, the knowledge that's being taught is nowhere near where it should be either. No, and, uh, like, and everyone, on, honestly, I think a lot of this to do with femininity. I think everything's become feminized. Mm. Like, I don't think boys should be taught by girls, mm. frankly. I think, and and the, the, a lot of people have been talking recently about maybe there should be gender segregation in schools. Oh, I don't absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah I've worked maybe. in mixed schools and I've worked in girls' schools. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Schools should be um, single sex. Yeah, I've I've really come to that conclusion because yeah. boys learn differently yeah, to girls. They do, and they should be taught by men. Yeah, and women should be taught. Uh, girls should be taught by women. It's girls learn better in an academic setting. They learn better in yeah. rows with a teacher at the front tracking the yeah. teacher. They're imparting knowledge. The girls are studious. They take it down. They retain it. Yeah. This this works. Men need some hands-on experience too. Yeah. You know, whether that's agricultural or whatever, they need to be in a, in a real-world environment. Mm. They can learn in a studious environment, but they also need, yeah. it's an and-or, well, it's an and situation, they also need that physical interaction. And team-based as well. That's true. Men do very, Competitive. very well. Yeah, exactly. Put, you know, two teams of, you know, right, you've got to work out this formula in this time, and two teams of men will be much more effective than if, you know, they were just given it individually. Yeah, yeah. It's just, they, they just are different. And we've, we found that in an all-girls school, girls learn a lot better than if they're in a mixed school. Yeah. For boys, it's negligible either way. Yeah. It's just, but, but there's no political will to try and improve the people themselves. No. You know, whereas 100 years ago, that's what we used to focus on. You know, and the idea of, like the American idea of uh, value-neutral education is preposterous. Oh, yeah. 
what are you thinking? Like, they, I mean, I, I was reading uh, T.S. Eliot's Notes on Culture, and it's really left the impression on me. So it was like, look, the, the purpose of education really was the transmission of culture, the transmission yeah, of value. Absolutely, you, you're creating a kind of person. You know, this is why people yeah. from Eton come out with the same accent. Hundred percent. This is this is my biggest bugbear actually. So I've been on a lot of educational panels, yeah, yeah. a lot of forums with prime ministers, not prime ministers, but parliamentarians and, mm. and peers and people that want to make a difference in education. People that genuinely care. Yeah, and I've been on there as an educator. And they, they're not going to fix anything because even the conservatives are liberal in this way. They, yeah. they want value neutrality. They want to remove something bad, but they just leave a hole there. And I'm like, that hole will be filled by something. Na yeah. Nature abhors a vacuum. What we have to say is these Christian, conservative, English values mm. are what we should be teaching. Children are going to be indoctrinated. Yeah. We have to choose the ideology we're indoctrinating them with. And, what, and we, we don't even have to frame it as an ideology because it's not. It's just a value set. Right. I you mean, the language is unimportant. It's the yeah, doing yeah. that's, that's yeah. important. But then they're not realizing this, which is why it's not going to change. It's just wild, though, how the... I mean, I you know, I hate to hate to invoke Nietzsche, but like, there's got to be some will to power that underpins a civilization. Like, no, no, we're doing the right thing for the right reasons, for the right people, right? And infusing future generations with your traditional conservative Christian cultural values into your your children of that civilization. Yeah. Is the right thing for the right reason for the right people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's no, that's what we should have been doing all along. This liberal notion of value neutrality is obviously fake. And the postmoderns, I mean, one of the great things the postmoderns have done is undermined it. Like, no, no, it doesn't exist. Good point. It doesn't exist. Thank God we can move past that. Mm. You know, but we we absolutely need something like that because otherwise, you, you, just, they, again, they want to talk about integration, but they're not prepared to advance a set of values. Yeah. Well, how can you do that? But even when they do, so Michael Gove tried to pin down British values, put them on a piece of paper. Yeah. You know the ones they came up with? What, um, tolerance of people of different faiths and non, <laughs> respect for democracy and the rule of law. Right. These aren't, I mean, they're fine things, but they're not sure. what it means to be British, not British values. Mm. And this is this, these three things are what it was all mm. pinned down to. And that's we've got even then schools were told not to undermine british values it wasn't ever a case of promoting british values but the problem there though is how could it be that a british school needs to be told not to undermine british values like it should be such it should be such an intrinsic part of the fabric of what the school is that you won't be able to help imparting Britishness or Englishness or whatever. The zeitgeist has changed. The whole exactly. diversity is our strength thing has been force-fed to us for so long that we mm. believe it. I mean, obviously, we don't believe it, no. but the role we believe yeah. it. Uh, and to oppose it is xenophobic, racist, bigoted. Mm. Like we have to push back against that. That diverse, Because diversity is our Achilles heel. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's no strength in diversity. Yeah. Diversity of thought and opinion is important in some places, but even that is not always important. No. And the, the, this is... Something that the, the liberal side of me has really struggled with. It's like, well, look, actually, it would be better if we just had... I mean, if, if it was literally just unthinking British propriety that we were promoting, it would be better than the alternative, whatever, whatever alternative they come up with. Mm. And that's what it used to be. It used to be that. And somehow the liberals took all of that away. Yeah. Well, they indoctrinated a whole generation. Yeah. Now we've got to reverse that, but that's hard work. It's very hard work, because what we're trying to do is restore something that was the work of centuries. Yeah. 
but surely that should make it easier because it was the norm until very recently. So we're not mm. even trying to reinvent anything. We're just trying to restore what was good and proper. Mm. But the, the problem is that there wasn't a conscious effort to direct things in a certain way, right? Like these, these were natural and mm. sensible responses to events in the world. Yeah. And so the, uh, like, Tucker Carlson did a bit on the British Empire recently. Yeah, right? it was great. It was amazing. Yeah. And it was, uh, but the thing for me, it was like, wow, no one's ever spoken positively no. about the British Empire before, a foreigner, you know? And he's like, well, look, they took their responsibility seriously. And if you look at the, the morality of the Victorians, it was all kind of naturalistic, mm. actually. You know, they were like, well, nature is a good thing, which is the total opposite of what Francis Bacon began in the Enlightenment. The total opposite. 200 years later, the Victorians were like, no, nature's good. We should be as proper as possible and have as high standards as possible. Do things as well as they can be done. And we will have fulfilled our obligation as the masters of the world. And so they didn't. There wasn't an outside force where they were like, oh, we have to act in some, like, in, we, we've got to be in a certain channel. It was just authentic first belief that was, you know, they, they were at the head of the comet and we're in the tail of it, you know. Yeah. And we, and so we, we can't direct the head of the comet. We have to be that thing, right? Yeah. In order for the cultural, the, the, the stardust to infuse into the civilization to be something that future generations will look back on. And I, I, I think the opportunity is just not in reach at the moment. Right? No, I think you're right. I think the issue is that we've always held each other to account through social norms. Mm. And liberalism has eradicated standards. Mm. A lot of this comes down to what our standards were. We don't have standards in most areas of our lives anymore. So how do we put them back in? Well, I suppose we just live them. That's the thing. You have to live them. And then you have to be an example to others. Yeah. And... If there's one thing people can't stand, it's a good example. That's true. They can't stand it. Like, look at all the iconoclasm. Anyone who's a good standard, who's yeah. a good example. And look at the thing with like Hugh Edwards recently. Oh, he didn't do anything wrong. Well, I mean, he was soliciting a teenager for nude pics. That's not legal. I know. <laughs> I'm still going to judge him. Right. It was grim. It was immoral. Yeah. Yeah. It was still immoral. Yeah. And yet now all of the establishment is rallying around him. Are they? Oh yeah, have you not seen it? Like, I've the, tried to avoid the story. Conser- there was a conservative MP, I can't remember which one it was, who tweeted out, oh, uh, you know, solid- not solidarity, but that was essentially the, the, the theme of the message. Right. And it's like... Um, I've seen people using homophobia as an excuse to, to kind of water it all down. I didn't even know it was a gay man that he'd right. been soliciting. But, they, you know, it, mental health is always, it's his mental health now. So, oh my God, this guy's like 60. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't have it together by now, no, I he, he has done wrong. I mean, there was a massive yeah. witch hunt, but he has done wrong. Sure. Yeah. And it's then, ugly. But, but that's the point, isn't it? There's, there's no, no expectation of standard now. No. Right. You're totally right. But then we, if we have to live that, so I did a piece on this recently on, um, I mean, you could look at any aspect of our lives. Mm. Um, the vape things, for example. Mm. I can't stand those little plastic I vapes. It's, like, it's, it's childish. It's, it's like a pacifier. It's like a dummy. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it smells like candy floss. It's... Effeminate. Go back to smoking. Right, just you know, just get a fag. Or, yeah. You know, I've just ordered a bespoke pope, uh, pipe. Oh yeah. And like uh, yeah. take because otherwise they're going to die out. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, people might say that's larping, but on the other Who hand, cares? I'm like I'm refer, I'm re- I'm retaining our tradition. Yeah. And I'll sit in one of these. And I'll... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's only larping until <laughs> you can't be thought of without it. And then we've got to just make yeah. these things normal again. Yeah. 
But then I put a challenge to you, Cole. You're wearing trainers today. I know. A gentleman shouldn't be seen in trainers. I, I know, I know. Where are your shoes? I, the, I wore them at the christening. <laughs> but these, these low standard, yeah, uh, these yeah. easy expectations yeah. can be raised so easily. Uh, yeah. This is why it always impressed me that Connor comes into the office yeah, just yeah, unbelievably well dressed. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to have to go to a proper tailor, yeah. spend a, a few hundred quid and spend, just kick me out. I mean, I, I, I should. You are, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, why, do you know why? It's because these cost a tenner. Right. Because, uh, you know, my dad is a very frugal, modest man. <laughs> and I've picked up all of his frugal and modest ways. So you can get some good leather shoes from a charity shop. That will I probably, I, and the, it's not that I'm, I'm not hurting for money. I'm not right. even bothered about spending money, you know. Um, it's just my nature to just buy the cheap ones. Yeah. You know? I don't even think about it, you know. But you, you're totally right. I should, it, I should be dressed well. It is a thing that I think is important because... When do boys become men? Mm. There used to be an age where we thought, okay, you've got to like stop wearing shorts now. You've got to stop wearing trousers. Yeah. Like there used to be a cultural expectation. Mm. And my granddad's generation, no matter what job they had, uh, laborer, yeah. you know, behind a counter, it doesn't matter. When they reach a certain age, they start dressing in a suit to go mm. to the pub, just to go to the pub. Yeah. Like that was a societal expectation of oh, them. Yeah. And we've lost that. And as a result, boys don't become men anymore. Mm. It's, it's man-childs everywhere. Yeah, it's adolescence. Yeah. We're in this period of extended... And you, you know, you're completely right, Alex. Callum and I did a video about this while ago. We just went through footage of London yeah. from the 20s through to the 2000s. And you can see it's, it's in the 80s where the suit just to totally falls out of fashion. Yeah. And now everyone's wearing shorts and T-shirts and shell suits. And, yep. But before... Like, you know, in the 20s and 30s, everyone looks amazing. Yeah. You know, wearing waistcoats and, and they all just look fantastic. And yeah, Men it does. in their hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the London underground. Yeah. Everyone looks respectable. Yeah. yeah. That's it. We don't respect ourselves and we don't respect yeah. people around us. We don't care. You know, people go to the supermarkets in their pajamas, for goodness sake. Oh, God. Yeah. Total lack of self-respect. But yeah. there's no accountability. We, we see it as normal instead of stigmatizing them for it. Social mm -hmm. stigma is a good thing. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> but, uh, there, was, um, there was one picture I saw the other day of uh, women in London um, scrubbing their front doors, yeah. the doorstep. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I was just thinking back to my nans. Yeah. Who are just obviously insanely house proud. Right. You've you know? got to make sure the skirting boards are clean Absolutely. before the visitors come around. Yeah, yeah, Most yeah. people today were like, what's a skirting board? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And a visitor, you know, what do you mean visitor? Yeah. Yeah, and But these women were scrubbing the, the front doorstep. And it was all the, the entire street was doing it. And it's just like, we, we had a better country. Mm. We just had a, a qualitatively better yeah, country. Absolutely. It comes back to what do we judge? How do we judge our country yeah. being better? It's not down to the GDP. It's down to these <laughs> things collectively. Yeah. That we, we can't put a name to them, but yeah. we know what they mean. And that's what British values are. Yeah. And it's like back to the topic of manhood. Like we, There has to be an element of grooming. But even then, mm. not too much because this is a balance, right? And we don't want to become effeminate. Like yeah. You've clearly groomed your beard to a respectable level, yeah. but you're not using like fancy oils and no, no, becoming no. a hipster because that's effeminate. Yeah. I, I just I, I've just got a pair of shears. I just just to keep it right because otherwise it grows at different lengths and it becomes <laughs> spraggly and I don't like it. So it's just to keep it you know neat. Yeah, there's no reason not to look neat. But like you say, you don't want to become effeminate about right. things. Yeah, I'm too lazy for that anyway. But so, so. so. <laughs> I mean, I try to keep my hair in a roughly circular <laughs> shape, but it does what it wants to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think you're so right about the suit thing. I really should. Yes, I'm annoyed about it. I, I get annoyed every time I walk into London and just see, we're, we're so scruffy. Yeah. We're really scruffy. Yeah. And it's changed so quickly as well. Mm. Like, I remember as a kid, 
elderly people just looked. I remember looking at them thinking, oh, they, they're all so smart. Yeah. And I'm sitting there in my jogging bottoms and my T-shirt thinking, yeah, this is liberating. Of course it's liberating. Yeah. Like, we're free to sin is what we're free to do nowadays. We're free to do all the things that are bad for us and wrong for us. And we do them mm. because we can. I tell you, you, I can't ever recall seeing either of my grandparents, my grandfathers, not in a pair of suit trousers. Right. Now that I think about it. You, you know why I started dressing like this? was because I realized that I'm, I'm past my peak mm. and I didn't want to be the guy in the baseball cap yeah. and the joggers and the trainers who hits 40 or 50 and you think, what, is he still trying to be a kid? It's embarrassing. Mm. And I saw them around me and thought, actually, even though I'm, I was in my 20s or whatever, I'm like, I've got to make a conscious decision mm. because there was no, you know, my father would never tell me, okay, now you're reaching this age, Calvin, you've got to stop. He wouldn't ever think of doing that. We don't seem to do that with our boys mm. anymore mm. so i thought i've got to make a conscious decision to choose to become a man now yeah. and I, I put away my video games i mean i still dabble every now and then sure, but sure. i put away my my trainers and yeah. my t-shirts and i think you know a gentleman should not leave the house without a collar without some leather shoes and combed hair and be respectful my wife is going to be respectful. so thankful we've had this conversation <laughs> she she wants me to dress like that right know, she always has but you know i've always been like well can't be bothered. Right. But the more I the more I think about it, the, the more convenience I think, well, of modernity. Yeah, it is. It is, and it, but it's it is, and it's snobbish. But there's something in snobbish. No, it, I think it's right. People think yeah. elitism is bad. A yeah, bit yeah. of elitism is good. Yeah, it's the upward force. Yeah, because I mean, like at, at, at the uh, christening, both my my wife got both my sons, uh, one eight and three, uh, matching uh, waistcoats. Oh. So white shirts, dark blue knit waistcoat. They look incredible. Yeah. They both look just so, but so neat and tidy yep. and adorable. And it, I'm just like, oh God, why don't we dress like that normally? Because mm. yeah, that just, he, just, they both looked in, just fantastic. Well, a lot of it is the bigotry of low expectations, isn't it? It's yeah. the liberals saying, well, other people can't afford this, so we have to bring this down to everyone's level. And of course, that's a nonsense because even the poorest people in our they society used to wear suits and dress nicely. All of them. Yeah. Both my grandparents, very, very poor background. Yeah. Somehow they had suits. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's nonsense. Might not have as many, but they'd look after them. And Absolutely. it wasn't as commercial and materialistic, so they'd have to actually tend to and fix, repair and mend oh, the yeah. stuff they had. Yeah, yeah, nothing. It wasn't well, just replace. The king is a good role model on that, actually, isn't he? He's got his items of clothing that he's had for decades. Like, he's got it? his favorite coats that he will always wear. Yeah. And you can see where they've patched it and changed buttons and stuff. Yeah. But he doesn't throw it out and get a new one. Of course, he could if he wanted to. But that's how they used to live. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it, 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 the problem really seems to have come from boomer permissiveness. Yeah. Because my, you know, my father always dresses amazingly. Because his father would never, I mean, you know, when he's at home, he'll wear jeans and t-shirt. Like, but, you know, it, whenever we go to a, you know, some some sort of event, he always dresses so amazingly, and I'm just, he never made me do that. Mm. You know, whereas his father definitely made him do yeah. that. And I'm going to think about making my sons do this yes. because you are right. This is. But it reflects on you, so when yeah, you yeah. take your kids out, how they look and how they act reflects on you as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully they act well. Good. My, my, my son's are very well disciplined. Yeah. If well, my, my three year old will become when he's not three. Um, <laughs> my my older my older one is just brilliant. Yeah. You know? um, but my three year old is is very much a three year old at the moment, and uh, but I'll I'll make sure I get that out of him eventually. Um, yeah. But now you are you're so totally right about this. Because I've been thinking about it for a while, because none of none of my suits fit properly anyway, so like I really should just crack on with that. Yeah. 
I mean, again, these things are inexpensive. You could buy a suit secondhand and just get a well, I don't tailor mind. to fix it up. I don't mind getting it properly done. No, I'd, I mean, I'd rather I mean, spend for, the money, you know. Yeah. I'd rather spend the money. Because it's like, you know, I'll get you know, three or four suits or something, you know, spend a grand or something, whatever it is, yeah. up front. But then, you know, I'm, I'm wearing trousers that I've had for a decade, you yeah. know. <clears throat> it's not, it's not, I'm not. I mean, I got this, this is vintage, I got this secondhand. It's got my local dry cleaners to, to tend it in a bit so it fits a bit better. Job done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to do this. Excellent! I can't wait to tune into Lotus. Oh, honestly, there's no reason not to. Though. There's no reason not to. I, men, men again. Yeah, no. That's but, how we make Britain Britain again. But you are right. This is kind of a rite of passage. It must be a rite of passage for a young man to get yes, his first yes. ma- adult suit. Yeah. You know, it must have been a rite of passage. Other cultures have their rites of passage. We've just done away with all ours. Yeah, and it's terrible because it has. Tra- I mean, like I wasted my twenties. I totally wasted my twenties because I didn't feel like there was any pressure on me to do anything. Yeah. You know, I was I'd work in a crap job. Yeah. I'd go home. I'd smoke weed and play video games. Right, and there was no one putting any pressure on me to not do that. I was thinking about this the other day because I came down to London for university mm. just because I applied randomly as something to do. Mm. I thought I like video games. Maybe I'll apply for a video game programming course if it comes. Yep. If I get in, great. And I happened to get an unconditional offer, so I came down to London mm. and never looked back. And my life has changed as a result. But if I hadn't gotten that, what would I have done? Mm. And I don't think. There was no real transitional period. Like I left school, went to college. Went from college, I was like, "What do I do now?" Well, I'll play Counter Strike and yeah, and yeah. I'll eat fast food. And there was no pressure on me. Yeah. Other than my mother saying, "Are you going to get a job?" There was no pressure on me to do anything or to yeah. to have an, a vision for my life. Yeah. But as soon as I got a job, that was it. The pressure was gone. So it's like, okay, I'll work seven hours a day doing tech support or something. That's not a job. No. You know, that's not a career. No. And so, but you know, it's okay, a job, I'm, but it's not a vocation, yeah, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm not in the dole. Okay, well, sure. And I just do a boring job that is requires no mental effort for me, and everyone leaves me alone. And yeah. I'm not going anywhere though. I'm not achieving anything. So, how did you get from there to here? Uh, I don't know really. Um, I was working at the research councils in Swindon, uh, just doing the, the administering their website. There's nothing. I mean, literally, I, it's no brain power involved at all. Yeah. And. I think my boss was annoyed about the fact that I kept bringing up problems uh, and saying, well, look, this could be improved. And he was like, look, you're better than this place. You should be somewhere else. And I was like, okay, but I work here. And I, I actually did quite like my job, actually. You know, the people were nice and yeah. the place was nice. And you get it, comfortable, it, don't you? I was very comfortable. Yeah, exactly. I was very comfortable. Um, and so I had a, a nice routine that wasn't going anywhere. Mm. And... I can't remember exactly what it was because it was about a decade ago now. But something came up and I basically got into a kind of argument with my boss. It wasn't a bad argument, but it, was, it wasn't just my boss, though. He was the creature of HR. I had an immediate boss. He had a boss who was a woman. And then the HR people above him were all women. And I had been objecting to... In retrospect, it was the feminization of the workplace that I was objecting to, but that it wasn't that explicitly. But that was the thing, yeah. and and I was like, look, I'm working hard. I don't really see what the problem is. And they were like, yeah, but you know, you're not being nice enough to this person. And I'm like, I'm, I'm I do the website. Yeah. You know, I was just being a normal man about it. But eventually, they were like, okay, we're going to let you go. I was like, okay, fine. And so I was unemployed for a couple of months, and I was just pissed off about what I was seeing around. And so. I, YouTube was something that had entered the public consciousness in like 2013. And so I just made a very poor video and people started subscribing. Mm. And that's, that's how I ended up here. It's just frustration. Really. Right. 
that you were pu- you kind of pushed onto a path accidentally. Yeah, you were supposed to be. Yeah, on. I probably wouldn't have done it had I not been fired. Yeah, yeah. So divine providence, and no doubt. How did you end up on this path? Uh, well, I got into teaching, and I saw firsthand how bloody awful it is. Hmm. Um, such a noble profession. I love education, but it's all upside down. They're doing everything wrong. So I started writing about it, and I really didn't like when I saw Secret Teacher and stuff like that in The Guardian. I thought, I've got, I've got to put my name to this because what I'm seeing is abhorrent, and, and I, I believe in what I'm saying. So I was, I was talking about the indoctrination of young people towards left-wing mm. um, ideologies. And eventually that got picked up by my local media. And then eventually got, that got picked up by the national media. And at one point, I had there was a story in like The Sun, The Times, The Telegraph, The Express, The Mail, all within one week. And, it's, and from there, that just blew up. And then I started getting invited onto radio to talk about what was going on in ed- education, and then eventually onto TV. And then Black Lives Matter happened. They were like, you're brown. And conservative, what do you think about this? And I was like, this is a mess. This is terrible what's going on. Uh, we're telling young black kids that they're victims and oppressed, and we're telling white people that they're oppressors and they're racists, and it's yeah. not true. Yeah. And then from there, everything just kind of snowballed. Right, but it, okay. again, it was, it was, I fell into it because it was supposed yeah. to be. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, like it's, you weren't necessarily seeking out no. what you have now. And I'm very cautious of people that are. That yeah. I find a lot of people want shortcuts. A lot of people come to me and say, I want what you have. How do I get that now? Yeah. And I'm like, write. What you do you can't. mean? Who do I write for? How do I write for the Telegraph, though? It's no, no, write. Write, write a blog. Yeah. Write for the Mallard. Write whatever. Just get articles out there. Yeah. Get good at what you do. And then you'll get noticed because you're good. And if mm-hmm. you are good, people will want you to write for them. You can't suddenly jump to where I am. It's that, it doesn't work like that. And the, the problem is kind of the intent, right? Because yeah. you wrote because you wanted to say something about yeah. a subject with which you were familiar, yeah. which is why I made videos. And this person saying, well, how can I get what you want? Something, no, no, what yeah. are you trying to say? They want to be known. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You're not trying to help something, you're not trying to fix things. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of people in our industry that are like that, especially in yeah. media. They, they yeah. want to be famous or they want to be known for this and that or they just want to be on TV. Yeah. It's like, to what end? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make the world yeah. a better place? Do you want to make this country a better place? Great, if you do, I'll support you. But if it's just about you, I'm not really interested, to be honest. And why would anyone be interested? Yeah. You know, what's your message? Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's it's not so a good many message. young politicos. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. despise that scene. That's, that's why everyone was like, oh, you're going to set up a media company in London. I was like, no. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if, if you want to work for me, you're going to have to come here. And that's on itself just a great barrier mm. to make sure that I'm getting people who are actually committed. That's very good. Know? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't intentional. I was kind of lazy. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have to travel to London. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it was also, you know, it's, it's a good, a it's good a test. Yeah. 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 I think there's also a sense of community there because you're bringing people down to, yeah. to your area. Oh yeah, everyone in the office likes each other, which is lovely. Yeah, you know, they, they you know they go out drinking stuff. I don't go out drinking because I'm I'm not really much of a drinker. To be honest, and my, my wife needs me at home to save her from the kids. Oh, that's uh, very wholesome. Well, yeah, but yeah, when I get home and she's like, "They've been nightmares today." <laughs> Sorry, darling. Which one do I need to whip first? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. It's Alexander, <laughs> the three-year-old. Oh, <laughs> He's three. He's a he's a he's very a typical three year old. Yeah, you know, a typical. Oh, it's a great age, isn't it? Yeah. Just wild child. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 he's totally adorable yeah. as well. He's utterly adorable until he can't have the thing he wants. Mm. And then he's very much a three year old. 
Um, but that's a nice. crucial time, though, isn't it? Two and three, oh, yeah. when yeah. they want everything. They're so entitled, but it's oh, on yeah. you to discipline them and say, actually, no, the world owes you yeah. no favors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've got, you've got to be firm. You know, you've really got to be firm. Now, how much they scream and shout. You just have to say, no, put them over your shoulder, and then just walk yeah. off. You know? but, and this is what Jordan Peterson talks about, isn't it? Yeah. Is that, that crucial time yeah. is what makes our society or breaks our society. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, I can't imagine what... I, in fact, I can imagine. In fact, I know people who have been permissive yeah. in, in this a whole space. generation of people yeah. as yeah. a result. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, do them any favors. They've never been told no. So when they are told no for the first time as adults, when they leave university, they're like, whoa, this is hate speech. <laughs> and, but also, it's just it makes everyone's lives more difficult. Yeah. It just makes their life more difficult, makes your life more difficult. And you thought you were doing something good. No, you were doing an evil. Yeah, it's an evil. Exactly. Yeah. Lack of boundaries, lack of discipline mm. is bad. But the thing is, it's easy for us to be like, oh, we need to go back to all of these things. You are right. We have to live it. We yeah. actually have to live it. We can't just say it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the moment to rebuild community because I think mm. London is, I mean, I live in London because it is convenient and everything happens in London and it's, mm. it's close to work. I've got a church yeah. there, but I don't, I don't like London. Mm. I think it's the belly of the beast. It's horrible. But again, that's also a reason why I'm there because I feel like I need, I'm called to be there to help try and yeah. help shape it a bit if I can, as arrogant as that sounds or perhaps as naive as that sounds. But you, but, everyone, even if it's just you, you still change the character and the thing by being you yeah. there. But I mean, London, you know, London didn't used to be horrible. London used to be exciting. London used to be a place that people actually wanted to be. Yeah. People liked London. Yeah. So I remember as a teenager, you know, going to London for the first time. And that used to be incredible. It was genuinely, it's massive, you know. It, was, it wasn't messy and foreign. Yeah. It was, you know, you'd hear Cockney accents. You yeah. know, it was... Three pound a banana. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, <laughs> it, when I first went to London as a teenager, I can't remember why my parents sent me there. It's like, but we, we went to the Natural History Museum at one point, mm. and it was just a great time. It was an adventure, you know. But now everyone hates London. Yeah, for, for the right reasons. Yeah. But I want, I want to try something. I want to try mm. living close to my friends. I want to try building a community mm. within London because I think we're called to be in the world but not of the world. So we can't separate ourselves off. Mm. We've got to be in it so we can live lives in a Christ-like manner. So we can set good examples, mm. right? So I'm, I'm trying to gather a few people together and say, well, let's, let's be neighbours first and foremost. And mm. then if people want to join us, great, and we'll build something on top of that. Because the community aspect from London is dead. Mm. And I come from a place where you know, I knew the name, name of my local Bobby on the beat, yeah. and I knew that if I was a little brat, which I often was, my neighbours would either discipline me themselves or they'd tell my mum. Yeah, and all of that's important. Mm. No, you're, you're totally right. Like the, the this is another thing I can't stand in the modern era is parents siding against the school oh, in favour of their child. Oh, like, I just can't. It goes both ways because the teachers are so sneery they think they're no best mm -hmm. and they think parents are old-fashioned bigots and so they, they need to be yeah. imparting values on the kids yeah. so they're working against parents but parents are, are always taking their children's side and thinking mm -hmm. that teachers are disciplinarians which they're not i wish they were disciplinarians yeah, God, if only. but i mean if i got in trouble at school i knew full well i'd be in trouble when i got home yeah. first of all my mom's a teacher so i thought <laughs> oh, you're siding with them but like, i'd get disciplined twice and now the kids don't mm -hmm. get disciplined once i i i remember that the, the one kid whose parents would side with him and not the school. And I, everyone was jealous of that kid. Mm. But in retrospect, you know, because, I mean, I knew that as soon as the, the, the school would phone my dad yeah. or my mum, yeah. oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Like, it's just, it wasn't worth my time, yeah. you know. I remember running home to, to delete a message off the answer machine. I hope <laughs> <don't worry about> 
that, and that's how things should be, you know, because then you can have faith in the institution. Yeah. You know, the parents can actually be like, right, okay, he did something wrong. Not, all oh, the institution's persecuting my child. Mm. You know, everything yeah. is just so bad for there are, There's a balance in this. There has to be an element of safeguarding. I did have a teacher who was a bully well, yeah. who absolutely hated me and set out to destroy me. True. That's from my perspective. But... Uh, my parents saw through that and yeah. I, remember, I remember he went in my father went to him once to meet this guy and the guy got in my father's face standing up over the table he's like you know if you were in the army you'd understand this that and the other my dad was like yeah I was in the army thank you very much have you served he was like no I haven't but like, so, argument was dead at that yeah. point but yeah there are of course in any situation exceptions to the rule yeah, yeah of course but I mean I'm not saying being blind about it but yeah you know there, there shouldn't but that's the problem it's the other way around there's a blind faith that the, the child has done nothing wrong and obviously yep. they have because they're children yes <laughs> you know <laughs> if we loved them we put boundaries in place to protect them yeah and they, they need and the, the problem as well is that it gives them an out you know they they can they can see the cracks in the power structure and they're like right okay I can manipulate this because they're not stupid. But they don't want that. They want the boundaries that they can operate within. They want to yeah. know that, that someone loves them enough to protect them. Yes. And, and uh, they, they should. Yeah. It's, that's what's good for them. You know, it makes them secure in the world. This is why I often say that God is our ultimate patriarch because he, he set boundaries. He said, this is what's good. This is what's bad. Hmm. But he, he gave us the freedom to operate within what's good. And if we don't, then we get punishments hmm. or we get reprimanded and we have to repent and we have to ask for his forgiveness. And I think ultimately this is why the woke movement is is demonic because it's always destroy the patriarchy. It's always against that fatherhood figure who is ultimately God. You know, five years ago I'd be like, oh, demonic, that's a bit of a... But I've seen them praising Satan yeah. more than enough times to go, well, they clearly do have some sort of satanic influence on them because they're the ones waving the banner and... So but even take away the spiritual element of them yeah, being yeah. in front of God. The, the fact that they're trying to destroy the patriarchy. Look at what's happening with fatherlessness. Oh, yeah. The society's yeah. falling apart without men being men, without dads being dads. And children are, you know, it's detrimental to their well-being. No, totally. And going back to the, the rite of passage thing, mm. like there's, a, there's a feeling of belonging once you've been through a rite of passage. Yeah. Like there's, a, you know, the sort of social fabric into which you're embedded yeah. that that's what's been unwoven and that's what we need to start refabricating mm. you know like you are right about the suit I'm going to do this I'm just, I love it no I'm, I'm genuinely like it's been on the back of my mind for yeah. a while actually yeah. you know I should go you know wherever Connor gets his bloody suits he looks amazing you know I should go down there spend whatever it takes yeah. come out and just look good you know like he does I should do this Yes. I'm going to do this. My wife's going to be thrilled. You're the boss, so you're setting an example for everyone yeah, else. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I should be setting an example for my kids. Get those sandals, throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't any sandals. But... No, not yours. Oh, oh Callum, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't well, going to name names, but... <laughs> well, to, to be fair, those are kind of authentic sandals from Afghanistan. So... Are we in Afghanistan now? No, Do we but... want to be in Af... Well, but there's, there's, a, there's a kind of... Um, English explorer Don't make vibe. excuses. No, I'm not making excuses. When we go to the colonies, we should be in our linen suit with a proper hat on. We, we never skimp down to the, the colonial standards. But there, there is a kind of eccentric English explorer vibe that he's got going on, which I'm not actually averse to because okay. it is kind of traditional. You're a bit more liberal than a I A bit more, but a bit, he's a bit Lawrence of Arabia. Really, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay with it, you know. It's, it's not a shell suit. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. You know? Each to their own. Yeah, yeah I, I can tolerate it. So, um, I don't know how long we're going for, but I guess we'll uh, we'll end it there just because we're 
We've we've covered enough ground. Okay. How the terrible. message of the podcast is man up. Yeah, get a suit. <laughs> Wear a suit. Yeah. Next time you see me, no, it won't be the next time you see me after yeah, this weekend. But you know, next time you see me, I'll be wearing a suit. Dress properly, act properly, be a man. <sighs> My mum's gonna be thrilled as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for joining me, Callum. Uh, God bless. Callum, Calvin. Everyone keeps doing this today. Oh, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. Bye bye.